It's Behind the Headlines on WLIWFM. It's our first uh, show of 2023, our chance to bring together journalists from all over the East End to talk about what's in the news this week. I'm Joe Shaw. I'm the executive editor of the Express News Group. We publish the Southampton Press, the East Hampton Press, the Sag Harbor Express, the website 27east.com and Express Magazine. My co-host is Bill Sutton. He's the managing editor of the Express News Group. Good morning, Bill. Good morning, Joe. Good morning, everybody. Good to start off the new year with some familiar faces, and we have them here uh, in a few regulars. Denise Civiletti, who's the editor of Riverhead Local. Good morning, Denise. Happy New Year. Good morning. Happy New Year to you. How are you doing? Christine Sampson, who is the deputy managing editor of the East Hampton Star. Hey, Chrissy, how are you? I'm good. How are you guys? Good to have you. And Beth Young, the editor of the East End Beacon. Hey, Beth. Happy New Year. Good to have you here for a new year. So let's um, let's start off talking about uh, this, the state of the state, which Governor Kathy Hochul delivered a message last week. And she laid out, um, she's, I believe this is a fairly common thing every year uh, that the governor's office does. They really lay out a, a long list of potential priorities for the coming year. Um, and she did that. And Beth, I think you summed it up really nicely, uh, what the state of the state is. You want to say it again? You said it off uh, air. She said a bunch of things and some of them might happen. Exactly. That's a very good summation of the state of the state. One of the things she said, though, uh, had a little more resonance, I think, on the East End uh, and on Long Island in general. And that is uh, her vision to push for more housing development, particularly on Long Island and in, in many areas of the state, but particularly on Long Island. And that's rubbing um, some folks uh, the wrong way on the East End, isn't it? You're starting to hear some reaction. Yeah, I think one of the, there there are a, a, a big number of things that are in this proposal. It's called the Housing Compact, um, which is kind of a little bit scary language. Since um, I don't know if any, anybody else agreed to it yet, but um, <laughs> um, um, uh, there. It would set higher requirements for more housing being built on Long Island than upstate. It's like three um, percent over the next three years, whereas upstate it would just be one percent over the next three years. And there are various ways that she talked about being able to get there. But one of the big ones that is really relevant on the East End is that um, uh, the plan calls for mandating the rezoning of areas around uh, Long Island Railroad stations to to allow for higher density housing. And uh, Denise pointed out really well last night, like uh, transit-oriented development, um, which is what development around railroad stations is called, isn't really transit-oriented development in an area where the train comes once or twice a day. Yeah, that's a great point. Uh, um, so this, you know, I mean, they're already building huge complexes around train stations up the island, but um, to do it- And in Riverhead. Yeah. And the Riverhead, which and of course Southampton Town come into Riverhead. Southampton Town focused on Spionk for for a housing development too, yeah. but, but and Spionk gets a fair number of trains. I mean, yeah, it's, but it, but it's a great point. But yeah, the, the whole idea of smart development, smart growth, uh, is built around this idea that that one of the things you do is that you put housing near public transportation. But yeah, it's a it's a great Denise. It's a great point that this is not an area where the public transportation is used in the same way it's used in other parts of the island. No, absolutely not. I mean, um, you know, for for a little while, uh, my daughter and her uh, then future husband lived in in Amityville. And um, there was a very large, uh, you know, workforce housing complex built right near the train station in Amityville. And a lot of people from that complex got on that train. They walked across the street and got on that train. And, um, you know, they're building a very large, like 240 something, I think, apartments that are proposed uh, across from the train station in Riverhead. And then that in this one, like the master developer. And then there's this other apartment complex. And I'm not going to quote the number, but it's already under construction. That's not um, supposed to be, uh, you know, market rate. <clears throat> And it's all part of it's all in this transit oriented development district that the town created. And, you know, there's that train station there. It, as you point out, Beth, you know, the trains come each way in Riverhead anyway, twice a day. 
And they are very, very, I mean, to say the trains are underutilized is a, a giant understatement because they don't serve a purpose for people going to work from the from the North Fork, from Riverhead and Points East on the North Fork, because they they stop, you know, where they stop, people, it's not where people are working. You know, and, and that's arguably- you get off the train, what are you supposed to do? There's no connecting, you know, it's it's a joke. So people drive. I mean, that's, you know. But that's the difference, right? Up Island um, in Nassau County, you still have a lot of people commuting to the city, and so Bill, the city. absolutely. When you're heading there, when you're heading west, it makes sense. If you're heading east, it doesn't. Sorry, Chrissy. I was going to say, I lived, I grew up in Nassau. I grew up around, you know, close to the Hicksville train station, and there are trains like two to three times an hour from Hicksville yeah. and Mineola. It's and you know, it's totally different and. You know, I'm the South Fork. I think we get three trains a day. I, now I live by the Amagansett train station, <laughs> and uh, you know I can hear that that train whistle. Like, but it's only still like three times a day. So, I, and public transportation, and I mean, I, you know, they've been talking about trying to change this since uh, you know my entire life. I think, but like public transportation out here is transportation of last resort, right? I mean, oh. you know. You could take the train into the city and maybe get to work in time, you know, from Riverhead reasonably in time, but you can't get back, you know. <laughs> um, so it's like it's pointless. The bus system is a joke. I mean, you know, people that use the bus don't just don't have any other alternative. And um, the Riverhead train station is actually like a bus depot because there are a lot of like five different buses stop there. And we've just talked recently about the fact that Suffolk County is changing its bus system on the East End to reflect the fact that, you know, a an urban bus system doesn't really fit on the East End. And so they're starting to phase out some of the bus routes in, in place of, you know, where you can use the app to to summon smaller vehicles yeah. in their place. On, which On, on demand. Yeah. The, the little feeder routes. I mean, they're going to keep what uh, the, the route known as S92, which travels from Orient around the Forks all the way out to uh, East Hampton. And then I think there's another bus that picks up and goes to Montauk. Is that right? I'm not, I'm not mm -hmm. sure. But, Is that the one we're know. talking about making on demand or? 10C, I think so. 10C, also there's another feeder route in, in Riverhead. They're talking about doing that too, the 8A. Yeah, but the, the point is they're sort of remaking the bus system with the full acknowledgement that that an urban system doesn't really fit on the east end and this is just another example but let me take a step back beth uh, yeah. this is all sort of rooted in a national conversation that's taking place right the, there's a lot of conversation about the fact that housing has become uh, it's it's starting to get more and more difficult to find housing and there's a sort of a national push to ease restrictions and and encourage more development, uh, that has some tricky, um, you know, the implementation of that on on the East End is going to be a little trickier, though. Well, sure um, let, yeah. let last year Hochul also rolled out uh, a big housing plan in the state of the state. Uh, some of the funding in that plan ended up making it into the budget, I believe. But one of the big things that didn't was. Um, mandating accessory apartments right and, um a bunch of people uh, a bunch of local state legislators got up and said hey you know this is a violation of home rule and i'm sure you're going to be hearing that very shortly about the uh, train station portion of this proposal because uh you, there's a really good argument that the state can't force towns to change the zoning uh, it's kind of, this is kind of typical from from the state, though, right? To paint with this big brush, that yeah. what's good for everybody on what's good for one person, one community on Long Island is good for everybody, every community on Long Island, ignoring the the differences, uh, the very tangible differences on on the east and both you know both forks. Um, that that is just different communities out here, and there's got to be different plans. You can't. You can't have one one overarching plan that's gonna that's gonna work out here. Let me ask you this, Bill. Do you do you think just a, a devil's advocate? Is it a bad idea for local governments on the East End to allow more more intensive development around train stations just well, 
Is it uh, by itself? Is, do you think it's something is, people is it, will is get? Is a chicken? Is a chicken and, and the egg? I mean, do, if you build more housing around train stations and more people want more trains, you know, going up island or into the city, will they then increase the trains because you have more housing, or is it or is it the opposite? Do you need to increase train service first and and then and then maybe you know build you know build more housing? People right now, if you build housing next to train stations, where are they going to get if they're not driving, if they don't have cars? And I think that's some of the assumption with these bigger communities that Denise was talking about, um, you know, in Western Suffolk and, and, and NASA, you have commuters that, that are non, you know, don't have cars moving into these places so they can commute into work. Where are they going to get their groceries? Where are they going to, you know, where are they going to, you know, where are they going to go shopping? Where you know where are they going to do all that stuff? You can't send them into the city for you know, for, for that kind of stuff without without cars. So I don't know that it makes sense here, but but at the same time, more housing is more housing, and we need we need affordable housing. And if this is one of the tools that local lawmakers can can use to kind of get get grants or get help from from the state or, or the county or, or whatever because it's it's the the hot it's the hot topic right now this commuter housing whatever if that gets more affordable housing built great and i guess you deal with with the problems after that what what i think one thing you are alluding to though joe is is getting away from the single family housing zoning and I think that, you know, that that and maybe that's what Hochul was talking about last year with these accessory apartments. I, I think that's a, a much better solution than building, um, you know, building 240 units next to a next to a train station. If you want to get more housing in and, and there may be an opportunity now with with, um, you know, CHF funding. Let's and, and you're going to and, and Hochul's going to come in and, and say and try to override zoning to begin with. Let's override that zoning and let's get more more multifamily housing built um, in, in these single family districts. Yeah, that proposal definitely made more sense on the East End. Yeah. And it's something that that uh, the local towns have been interested in doing anyway. So, Denise, let me ask you this. The, the state of the state address and Governor Hochul throwing this stuff out. Is it just sort of using the bully pulpit? Is it just starting the conversations on these subjects as much as anything? Well, I think, you know, that's what Beth alluded to um, in very succinct terms. <laughs> I think that's exactly what it is. And you can generally expect to see um, the things that are discussed in a state of the state address in a budget proposal. I mean, that's how it, that's how it works in the governor's budget executive budget. Um, some of them might fall off before then, but generally this is kind of a preview, a peek into what's going to be in that executive budget at, that, you know, is going to be discussed and adopted pretty rapidly in the next few months, um, right? I mean, it's got to be adopted by April 1st. Theoretically, so, <laughs> it will be adopted by April 1st. There's precedent oh, for it not being adopted by you. <laughs> Always a struggle. Yeah. Beth, there were some other things that, that the governor mentioned too. And one of them stands out. And that was um, at least floating the idea of a proposal um, that has to do with, with natural gas and gas stoves in, specifically, I think, right? Um, I know it, it had involved uh, not allowing new gas hookups for, for new buildings, gas hookups yeah. for new buildings. For, uh, for natural, for the use of gas stoves in, right. in larger buildings. Like street gas, so not propane. But, yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. There's, this is a new um, thing that's come up, uh, is the debate about whether gas stoves actually are polluting, and there's been some very sort of preliminary studies, I have to say, uh, not a whole lot of conclusive evidence yet, but some preliminary studies that suggest that it contributes to things like asthma in children, that it that it can can create some damaging environments. Uh, but it's a big step to to go so far as to suggest uh, a state ban on on gas stoves, and it's it's raised some hackles on the other side. Right. Um... I mean, the gas hookup thing is really primarily, from what I've heard, it, it's advancing the goals of the Climate Leadership and Community Protection Act, 
which is calling for the town, the, I'm sorry, the state to um to wean itself off of fossil fuels and electrify everything, basically. <laughs> um, and one of the big places that's difficult to electrify is housing, because you know when you buy a, a home heating system, you're making a 30-year investment, and there's so many heating systems out there that are fossil fuel heating systems right now that people are still using and they're still working fine. Um, so not allowing new natural gas hookups would really force people to uh, start looking at heat pumps and other forms of um, electrification of their house, heat pump, water heaters. I mean, there's a whole bevy of new tech, new and not so new technology out there. Um, and also this, um, the federal government, the Inflation Reduction Act has a lot of incentives that the IRS is still working out the details on to um, encourage homeowners to swap out their fossil fuel equipment for uh, for electric equipment. Hmm. That's not a small a thing. Yeah, it's going to be a really big issue this year. It's going to come up. Especially in Suffolk, Suffolk County, where which has some of the highest electric rates in the United States. That's not a small thing. Right. And I think that's one of the things the installers really need to communicate to people like, okay, you, you're telling me these are high efficiency systems, but show me the numbers. How how much does this cost relative to the natural gas? Because that's not really being communicated right now. And and that's really what consumers care about when they care about their how they're going to heat their house. Um, and we don't know, you know... We don't know that when the grid becomes renew more renewable, we don't know what the cost effect is going to be. I mean, we hear that like there's a power purchase agreement that's capped with the wind farm, but we don't know what that is. And as consumers, we're really in the dark on a lot of this. And I think LIPA is having a meeting next week mm -hmm. uh, on the 20th. To, uh, I, did you, I don't know if you guys know the details of where it is, but it's for the East Enders to ask them the hard questions. About the future of LIPA, yeah. which I mean, it's really ties South, into Southampton, Southampton Town Hall. I don't have the, the, the time, but it, it's, it's going to be live stream. They said also. So, so I have an electric furnace, and that's just what was in there when I when I bought the house and moved into the house. But can I get some kind of check now? I mean. <laughs> I think you can. I think you can hire an installer and they can get a check. It's pretty expensive. I'd like some money back, and now that I know I'm doing the right thing, it's it's you know it's interesting. It'll be curious to see how much of this stuff does come to pass, and how much of it is just sort of being floated by the governor. Um, yeah. this, as we as we've alluded to a couple of times, the state of the state really is sort of a. a laundry list of topics as much as anything right denise it's 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 more about just sort of starting conversations yeah setting priorities and and you know telling the legislature that the governor is going to be looking for funding for these things in the executive budget and really just starting conversations i was just actually looking on my website to see if i actually wrote a story about this i'm not sure if i did or not but i attended a riverhead chamber of commerce meeting a couple months ago, uh, where somebody from um, now, which is is it key? Is it National Grid or Keyspan Energy? Like, which one is the gas provider around here? National yeah. Grid. National Grid. It's National and, Grid now, I believe. Yeah. Okay, so that was, and um, they, you know, the, they gave it. The guy gave a really interesting talk about the, the climate, you know, the, the climate legislation and the transition to electric and stuff, and. He said, you know, this is all well and good. The state has set some extremely ambitious goals and the state does not have the electric infrastructure in place to make them happen, you know. Um, and that sounds he, like a segue. <laughs> no, I mean, and, and that is a segue because it's, this stuff is all tied together, you know, and yeah. just, you know, and this, the segue that you're referring to there is is with this battery energy storage stuff. The, the, the life, I pulled up the thing about the LIPA commission hearing um, it's uh, Friday, January 20th at 11 a.m. at Southampton Town Hall, and um, they're going to have a, a live stream. I won't give the web address, but it's um, a, a, a live stream that's sponsored by the commission. Um, I, I'm going to I'll be posting a notice about this. I meant to do it into our website. <laughs> yeah, 
And so go to our websites and you'll see the information here, but. Yeah, we're also planning to post something too. This is, you know, Assemblyman Fred Thiel, this has been for a very long time, a passionate uh, topic for him is the future of LIPA and uh, the need to reconsider it. But uh, so I do want to move into this new topic before I do, I'll remind people that this is Behind Headlines on WLIWFM. I'm Joe Shaw. Uh, My co-host is Bill Sutton. We are with the Express News Group and our panelists today are Denise Civiletti of Riverhead Local. Beth Young of the East End Beacon, and Christine Sampson from the East Hampton Star. So let's talk, Beth, about the proposal in Southfold. They are talking now, we've, we've been talking on the show for, for a while now. Uh, I think we've been a little bit ahead of the curve on this one, you know, knock on wood. Uh, the, the idea of these battery storage facilities that are going to be necessary as we move into alternative energy. And there are a couple of proposed facilities that have popped up on the South Fork and I believe also on the North Fork and in Riverhead. Uh, Southhold Beth is, is taking the first steps now to maybe uh, limit the creation of these facilities, right? Uh, well, um, uh there was a big uh, public forum last night uh, that the Kutchog Civic Association organized on battery energy storage systems. And just a couple hours before this forum happened, the um, town supervisor's office sent out a press release saying that they're going to be considering a moratorium on on development for a year while they work out zoning for these facilities. Because like all like a lot of new technologies, the, our local zoning codes don't have anything any regulations in them about where you cite these things about how how to handle safety anything like that um so can i can i interrupt you beth can you talk a little bit about why this matters to people it's become an issue for a lot of people what is the concern about these facilities well i think there's been a lot of high profile um uh, fires involving smaller lithium and less well-regulated lithium-ion batteries, particularly in the city. There was a, a really big fire recently that was caused by um, an e-bike battery that overheated. But um, uh, there, there are a lot of safety concerns. It's a, it's a new technology. Uh, lithium-ion, depending on the chemistry, can be incredibly volatile. So these are lithium-ion battery storage facilities. And um, they're talking about building them all over Long Island. Um, I believe there are, there's one in Montauk already, and maybe one. I think in- it's. I think it's. If not there, it's going to be there soon. And it's there's all sorts of issues around the site of that because it's like a flood zone, right? Something like that. Yeah. Which because um, you know, electricity and water work really well together. <laughs> so that's the five megawatt facility. There's a proposal I, for one in Kutchug that's eighty megawatts, and I believe there's two proposals in Riverhead that are also equal, uh, similar scale. Yeah, one is a hundred megawatt, one is a sixty megawatt. Um, the hundred megawatt one is proposed on property adjacent to um, a, a senior community, so that mm. presents. Uh, issues in itself. I mean, well, they're always looking for batteries. That's, you know, <laughs> it's, it's, that's the point. Is like the towns really need to plan for. They need to figure these things out, and that's what Russell said in his press release yesterday. And uh, you know, they need to plan for this stuff and not just let it happen as developers decide we want to build something here. Generally, as he pointed out in a conversation I had with him yesterday on spec. <laughs> so, yeah. um, you know, the town needs to have a plan. And in order to develop that plan in a in a way that allows the town to, you know, to develop a code and address proposals as they come in, he's saying we need to have a moratorium. Um, so that would cover South Old Town, but not Riverhead, right? Is Riverhead, is this also a conversation? Is this a conversation that may spread to other communities? <laughs> Well, maybe other communities, but I don't think it's going to spread to Riverhead. Uh, Riverhead's been grappling with this. Uh, you know, we've had these two proposals that um, came that came in that we know of. There may, you know, I mean, who knows what conversations are being had in the planning department and with town board members behind the scenes because that's what happens. And um, so there may be some kicking around that we haven't heard about yet. But these two proposals that have been made public, um, you know prompted well 
didn't prompt the board. The board had already drafted, had the planning department draft a, a proposed code for these things. I think because these guys, these other guys came in like over a year ago, like October of 2021, to have these pre-application conferences. And so then they started drafting a code. And um, they had a public hearing on the code. And then they had a second public hearing on the code. They added some dimensional regulations to it, you know, with setbacks and things like that. But they selected, I think, five zoning districts um, where these things would be allowed. One of them is APZ, the Agricultural Protection Zone. One of them is a residential zone, an 80,000 square foot residential zone, and then a few um, um, uh, industrial zones, three industrial zones. Mm. Um, and there was very little, I mean, this was drafted by the planning department. It was presented to the town board. The town board, as is typical here, had very little to say in response to this presentation. They scheduled the public hearing, et cetera, and away we go. Um, meanwhile, um, these applications are kicking around. One of them has already, the, the Mill Road site has already um, pre presented a fully engineered site plan to the planning board, um, which if for those of you who don't know, that means something. It means something because it's a very expensive endeavor to do that. And so they were basically told, even though they technically got a denial from the zoning officer who couldn't, you know, there could no, be no building permit issue because it, it was not allowed legal use under the code. You know, they were technically told, oh, they got that, but then they were told undoubtedly on the side, well, you know, go ahead and, and get this ready because we're setting this code up. And, you you know, however, it's, the, it sounds know, like the, the demand is outpacing the the, the municipal response to it. Absolutely. And I think that's something that's a common thread, not just in Riverhead, but everywhere with these things, with solar. Where we do with, with, any, with any new technology, right? I mean, that's, that's bound to happen and just hope. Giant logistics centers. It's like the same, you know, circumstances over and over again. And hopefully uh, the municipalities are, are just able to catch up and, you know, moving forward can. Especially when comprehensive plans are as, as old as they tend to be. Like they're not really updated very frequently. Riverheads is over 20 years old now, like when they first started putting that together. So. I don't know what's going to happen, but I don't think it's going to include a moratorium on battery energy storage. <laughs> Bill, and, and, and by the way, Beth, the moratorium would be to give Southhold a chance to put rules in place. It's not necessarily banning these facilities. It's just saying we're going to stop right. it for the time being to, to be able to get some, some rules put in place. Yeah, and there's nice CERTA is really ur the New York State Energy Research Development Agency is really urging uh, local governments to put put this kind of plan in place before before they allow them. So this the, and the state has some resources that they're using to help the towns develop these plans. So um, the, the state really wants to see that um, local governments are are involved in the process because the local governments know where the best places are. I mean, the, the Kutchog, um site it's industrially zoned, but it's on the most scenic farmland corridor back roads in town. So I think that was a shock to a lot of people who didn't even know it was industrially zoned land. And a lot of farmland in, in Riverhead is also industrially zoned, which mm. people are learning the hard way. Mm. Interesting. Bill and Chrissy, the Southampton and East Hampton, this uh, is on the radar because I know there are some proposals uh, certainly in Southampton town, some some proposals have propped up, but I don't know that the towns um, are. I'm not sure this is our, uh, is really caught up to the town agendas yet. Um, have I you heard much East, talk? East Hampton, I'm not sure that it is. Um, you know, at that level yet. I mean, maybe it is behind the scenes a little bit, but um, you know, East Hampton town is taking the off season opportunity to deal with like catered parties on the beach. <laughs> you know, like they're dealing with like, you know, government issues on a really small local level because like it's quality of life for the residents. But that could also be a quality of life thing yeah, coming I, down I'm the pike. You know, it's not more on their agenda because one of the big things that we're talking about last night is that this wind farm that is tying into the East Hampton substation, um, the, when the wind 
blows offshore, it's usually in the middle of the night, in the middle of the winter, which is not when people use the power on in East Hampton or mm -hmm. anywhere on the South Fork. Um, so they need to be able to store that energy um, near where it's generated. And that, I would assume, would be in East Hampton. Yeah, it's I, I think, I think I, you know, in both Southampton and East Hampton, you don't have the same. Um, well, well, you don't have a very, very public proposals, but you don't have the the community rising up like they are mm -hmm. in South Holden Riverhead with questions and 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 concerns about it. Um, I, I, you know, I, I do know. I, I think Southampton officials are are discussing it. Maybe, like Denise said, quietly behind the scenes right now, and you may see some some pr proposed um you know code amendments and 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 all that but it, you know unfortunately as as oftentimes is, is the case until the until the public rises up and and starts being vocal you you don't you know you don't necessarily see a lot of action um they're busy doing you know doing a lot of things but um this is certainly something that we're going to be hearing a lot more i think in the next um in the next year a few years and especially with the with the uh the wind farms um yeah, and I, feel... I was gonna say what you do hear people rising up about now in east hampton town is the montauk proposal for a sewer treatment plant sewer system like essentially in hither woods yeah a park you know and so that's kind of what's preoccupying people's occupying people's minds right now out here is that proposal that was the the town is proposing swapping some land to to allow that right and they sort of yeah. quietly put that proposal together yeah and you know the people called it for what it was at the early stages like we suspect this is happening you know rick whalen resigned his post on the uh, nature preserve committee because of the prospect of this and then it happened it came to pass that they said yeah we want to do this land swap with suffolk county um for land on east lake drive it's you know roughly it was the preserved same land it was preserved land right um park, i think it was land, a, per a cpf a cpf purchase mm -hmm. um but you know that lends that leads to the topic of that we were thinking about earlier that is water more important than land right like water conservation more important than land preservation right now you yeah, know, like actually, what that, that focus should be. That's so we can lead right into that conversation. Actually, <laughs> we're doing nice segues this week. We've started 2023 with good segues. Hey, it's almost um, like we know what we're doing here, <laughs> Chrissy. Uh, the 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 um, East Hampton Town Supervisor Peter Van Skoyak this past week raised the possibility that it may be time to start thinking about reprioritizing community preservation fund monies that instead of primarily using that money for land preservation um, and uh, in using a small portion of it to, to fund water quality projects, in East Hampton Town, at least, the idea may be to turn that priority list around and to, to make water preservation the priority now instead of land preservation. I think it's timely, too, um, in that like with the recent um, IRS decision to not tax those septic grants, mm -hmm. right? I know it's a little bit of a di different topic, but it's kind of related in my mind in that like no, they wanted to prioritize. Yeah, it's all water quality. They'll, um, you know, they'll that they're hoping that more of those uh, systems come through, right? But that's not what's viable in that Hither Woods area. Um, you know, Mr. Van Skoyak is saying. Um, so that's why they're, they're turning to this sewer idea. But, um, you know, he's not he's not wrong in saying, like, you know, people have been pushing this issue down the down the road. You know, this isn't he's saying this is an area where Montauk community has historically disposed of waste. You know, the groundwater flow is away from houses, you know, so like I think it makes sense. It's very and difficult also, to install the IA systems in areas where the water table is really high. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. And, and in East Hampton, it's fair to say that that there's not a whole lot of open land left to preserve. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, East Hampton, <laughs> yeah, I mean, East Hampton's in a little different circumstance. I think I think Southampton still has some big swaths that that they may have an opportunity to spend money on. But 
Um, it's an interesting idea to suggest that this fund that was created 25 years ago to preserve land might actually be better used going forward, more specifically to preserve water. Um, I, you know, the land preservation efforts have clearly changed the region in a significant way. But now we have new priorities and, and we've got new problems. And I think it's kind of an intriguing idea to question whether it's time to sort of evolve. Would that have to go back to the voters? Absolutely, it would. Yeah. I mean, it was the voters that decided that you could use 20% for water quality. If you're going to change that mixture up, it would have to go back before um, before the voters. And I was going to say, well, it may be a good idea. It's not an easy, it wouldn't be an easy process, I think. Um, you know, I think the East Hampton supervisor had had floated an idea of maybe banking. So so you, the, the town can take 20 percent of CPF revenue. He wanted to roll that over from year to year so that you could use more in a, in a given year. Um, and, and I think that um, Fred Fred Thiel, who the architect of, of the CPF, kind of said that that's not how it would work and, and that he wouldn't be in favor of that. But what I thought was interesting is, as Fred noted, that it is the 25th anniversary of CPF, and he wants to impanel a committee to look at how the future of the CPF should be used over over the next few years. And I think that that that's a good idea. And one, you know, to to Joe's point about more land being available, maybe in in, in Southampton or bigger bigger swaths of land. Um, you know, we were talking about it the other day, and my idea is now that you've got this community housing fund, which is going to be, you know, separate from that, maybe maybe that's the focus. And maybe you've got some of these huge properties in Southampton and and, and, and the other towns um, that are still available. Maybe instead of preserving them as as open space, you're you're buying them with CHF money to to promote some kind of housing projects. Which of course, then you would need to bring in some of the water quality money to make sure that they're they're sewered and you know and, and all that correctly. But I think that could I think that could tie in well, and that could it's certainly um, it's certainly worth looking at what you want to do with the CPF in the future. There's still a lot of money coming in. There's probably still a lot of money um, you know available to be used. Um, but but what are our priorities going forward? And to I Bill's think point. Um Go ahead, I was going to say, um, we did, you know, publish recently that CPF, I mean, real estate is, is going to have a big shift coming soon, right? Like, so CPF money, to me, isn't a guarantee that the same levels of funding will always be there. Right. You know what I mean? Because it's so very closely tied to the real estate business. And, and, uh, and the point I was going to make is Assemblyman Field would point out that the towns need to fund a lot of of purchases they've already made that that they've right. allocated future revenue the, the, yeah to pay mm -hmm. for it so Vince Goyk did say in his in his state of the town I think that the that East Hampton's unencumbered balance for CPF is like 65 million dollars is that that sounds he said something I'm not yeah sure I mean was. that's orders of magnitude greater than in the North Fork towns and yeah. I think that 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 goes to the point that East Hampton may be in a little bit of a unique situation uh, and they may be sort of the the front edge of the of this of the blade here and, and sort of dealing with whether or not they need to reconsider how that money's being spent. It's a lot of money. And and I think that's the point is and, and Chrissy, I think you made a great point that now that the whole issue with the septic grants and whether or not they're taxable uh, has been cleared up and it's not the case any longer, that becomes a much more attractive option for homeowners. And so you have this fund with all of this money that can be used to, to help support changing people over to, to better systems to, to improve the water quality. It all sort of fits together in a way that's uh, worth at least having a conversation about. It sounds sure. like that's going to happen. This is Behind the Headlines on WLIWFM. I'm Joe Shaw. My co-host is Bill Sutton. We are with the Express News Group. Our panelists are Denise Civiletti of Riverhead Local, Christy Sampson of the East Hampton Star, and Beth Young of the East End Beacon. Bill, real quickly, I do want to talk about some big news that came down this week in Sag Harbor, and that is on Thursday. It actually came down after our print deadlines, but on Thursday morning, Bay Street Theater 
the Friends of Bay Street announced that they were putting a big piece of property up for sale that had once been considered the future home of a new Bay Street theater. That's that's a big development. Oh, that was that a, is really big. A huge, huge development. That's uh, 22 Long Island Avenue, which is the former home of the 7-Eleven. And, and you saw that um, when Friends of Bay Street um, purchased that property, is it is it a year, two years ago? Whenever they purchased, there was a big uproar on that property. You saw 7-Eleven had to leave and, um, you know, a new convenience store come in. And a, and a lot of uh, a lot of the business owners were told they were going to have to leave at some point. But but, yeah, it was promoted as as this. I mean, we saw that we saw the pictures. It was this this grand, um, you know, waterfront theater with an amphitheater and, you know, access to, to Steinbeck Park and. Um, you know the really great plans, and I and I think it it, um, it kind of went silent. You know, a while ago, a few months ago, they were they all of a sudden they had stopped talking about it. So maybe maybe people um, aren't surprised, but uh, you know they sent out a release the you know the other morning saying that it was um, it's it's on the market um, that they no longer um, they no longer have they no longer have that same vision. Um, you know, um, they, they examined the site, they said, and have determined that the property is no longer viable to build a theater as originally envisioned, which, um, mm-hmm. shocked me a little bit because that was, um, the big vision. I mean, there's, you know, and there's a lot of talk of, uh, uh, other areas, um, you know, and, and a nearby property, uh, about extending the park, you know, that type of thing. So maybe some of that, uh, came into play, um, although you know they aren't being very specific, other than to to say it's on the market. Their uh, their lease was extended. Um, um, you so know, this is their lease and the current this facility is the, at at the the Bay Street Theater that we we all know that's been there right on, for on, thirty on, years on, on Longworth owned owned by Mr. Malloy. Um, so they're they're going to stay there for for a while and. Um, which kind of goes against what what they've been saying for years that they needed a permanent home, they needed a home of their own to help with with fundraising and 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 all that. But um, you know, maybe that's the best solution moving forward. I don't know. So, Chrissy, this was a surprise, but it wasn't a shock, right? Because uh, Bay Street had talked about this and they released some sketches, but they never really came forward with a concrete plan for that property. Like there'd never been uh, an actual proposal filed with the village, I don't believe. And and it had been sort of talked about in very broad strokes um, since it was floated a couple of years ago, but but it never really advanced beyond that stage. Yeah, that's correct. Um, and to me, like Adam Potter um, has a lot of his hands in a lot of things, right? Yeah. So um, this is in my mind, I have a question now, is it related, is it an economic factor in general as well, given that his partners dropped out for the 79 unit housing complex that he proposed in Sag Harbor? And where's that going to go? You know, and, and of course, he's the guy, you know, the founder, is he the founder of Friends of Bay Street Theater, a a founder or the founder? I know he's he's in the leadership of Friends of Bay Street. And And the thing about it is, this is what gets interesting is there's there's a, a handful of properties at play here that that Adam Potter and Friends of Bay Street, but also Adam Potter separately have mm-hmm. have been working with. And they're all sort of interconnected, the, the proposals. And it's interesting to me that that now that this property, uh, the, the Water Street Shops property is back on the market. The mayor, Jim LaRocca, stepped forward and said, well, we'd love to see that become part of Steinbeck Park. This is all sort of moving parts. And as you said, Adam Potter's proposal for a retail and housing development is also sort of part of this mix, right? It's, it's all mixed together. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, in general, like, like I was referring to earlier with changes forthcoming in real estate in general, like, do we, are we seeing like a lot of big market big name people putting houses on the market, you know, and like selling off assets and 
it's I feel like it's there's a context to it. You know what I mean? Yeah, it could be it could be a sign. Beth, you've been watching Sag Harbor for years and years. Um, this was always sort of an idea of sort of remaking that part of Sag Harbor Village. The question now becomes where where does that conversation go? Yeah. I mean, there's going to eventually be a buyer for that property, and um, who knows what they will want to do with it. Oh. Um, and I think yeah. it's beyond the friends of 7-Eleven at this point. Um, yeah, and, and Bill, we, we talked about the fact that tied up in all of these conversations, too, um, that property, and then there, there's another property nearby that's been part of the, this conversation as well. There are businesses, active businesses, that are affected by these decisions. I mean, there, there, there's yeah, you know, some, some some were some moved and and some were getting ready to move, and it was you know, I mean, the whole Seven Eleven thing was was really strange that you know Seven Eleven was was forced out, and then you know, not for nothing, Potter came in with his own convenience store that he that he that he put in there. But yeah, there were livelihoods there. There were people working in those stores and restaurants, and um, you know, and and all that. Um, you wonder if a new owner, you know, what what their vision would be, whether they would allow what's, you know, the businesses that are left to 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 stay or not. Um, even if it becomes an economic decision. It's a nice piece of property. I mean, it's right on the water there. It's next to the park. It's you could do a lot of things with it. You could the build sunsets a- are really nice there. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's not in great shape. I mean, I can't imagine a new owner. Yeah, exactly. And what was intriguing to me was that Bay Street sort of pitched that, that creating a theater there could tie it in with the waterfront park and and make it sort of a connected. Not not for nothing. Their their original, I mean, the the drawings and and their, you know, it wasn't, I don't think it was fleshed out plans, but their original plans for the theater weren't weren't super well received in the community the community had mm-hmm. um, issues with the scope of it the size of it um you know whether it would block some of the you know the water view that that type of thing so that may have been part of the frustration here that that they had hoped that the community was just going to embrace it and push it through and you know and and that they would um have the the, the theater that they wanted there and maybe realizing that that a scaled down version wasn't exactly what they wanted i'm i'm you know i'm not psychic i don't know what in what went into their decisions but that could have been part of it and you know chrissy for context we have to point out that it seems like when bay street's lease is up and i mean the last time it was up was 2012 and we had some reporting back then that there were conversations about bay street relocating to southampton Mm -hmm. village or bridge or Bridgehampton. Yeah, yeah, there were some some different, and so this comes up. Uh, it seems like every time Bay Street's lease comes up, and now their new lease is good through, I believe, twenty twenty seven. So it sounds like Bay Street is gonna gonna stay on site. They they had a lot of conversations during this time about the need to grow and the need to add to the facility, but it sounds like they're gonna make do with what they have for now. I, that's still yeah, not a long. It's still not a long like stretch of time though. And like if they really want to get an a uh, a new facility that is their own and not in a leased space, like wouldn't they have to still start now? Like yeah, sure. planning, it's take, you know what to, I mean? To get like, a, a, approvals and construction and, and all of that. Yeah. Five year yeah. And in a per- you look- in a perfect scenario, yeah, you the, the village could help plan with them then too. Yeah. Right. Yeah, it'd be interesting I, to see where that. I don't think they want to go to Bridgehampton. I I think it's you know it, it's a it's a it's a Sag Harbor um, institution at, at this point, and um, you know staying in the village, it's 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 well loved and regarded in the village, and it, it's a big draw. I think it brings people into the village, um, you know, and they're just part of the fabric there. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, Chrissy, we have a couple of minutes left. I want to give you a chance to talk a little bit about um, a, a new project uh, partnership between uh, the East Hampton School District and Phoenix House, I believe. You want to talk about that a yeah. little bit? Sure. So Phoenix House is a nonprofit um, uh, network of like um, substance abuse treatment recovery. They've got some outpatient facilities, inpatient facilities. And what um, this week or no, last week. It was announced that 
um, the high school would be partnering, East Hampton High School would be partnering with Phoenix House to bring in a more formal way so that um, Phoenix House's licensed clinicians will be available to the high school as needed for a counseling resource when substance abuse or the risk of substance abuse is, you know, coming to an issue with discipline, school discipline. And, you know, right now, in fact, today, um, you know, some clients of Phoenix House are going, uh, they're visiting Jim Stewart's health classes. He's been there forever. And he always brings in the clients to talk to the kids about how substance abuse treatment and recovery look and feel. But this is just one more step forward and one more step in the, um, you know, a formal direction together to have that relationship and make it uh, really beneficial to not just the students in the school, but the families as well. Is this in response to something or is this just a proactive attempt to sort of um, get the school district ahead of the, the issue? It's This is more proactive. So the school principal, Sarah Smith, specifically said that it's not in uh, response to a particular demand. Um, it's more, um, but the context is that East Hampton has always kind of been a little ahead of the curve with mental health. You know, they have the... Um, South Fork Behavioral Health Initiative. Am I frozen? No, you're good. No, you're good. Okay. We're hearing you. Sorry. So they've had the South Fork Behavioral Health Initiative that they've been a part of for probably like eight years at this point. Um, you know, they're trying to get wrap their hands around mental health for students. And now this is another aspect of that. It does all fit that's, together. That's, really a, well. that's a great thing. I mean, the 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 sooner you get um you get that message out there, the the, the better. And, yeah. you know, then the other thing is that the Phoenix House isn't charging the school district for anything. Like it's, you know, they're a nonprofit, so they're leveraging what they already have in place. They all they also get some like public funding for their programs and such. Um, and they have locations from here to Queens, you know, and so this is going to not only be um, beneficial to East Hampton, but it'll also be a model. They, they, the CEO of Phoenix House told me that it's going to be a model for other school partnerships Great. in communities where Phoenix House, I know they have a Hopog location. They have a, a couple in Nassau. Those kind of partnerships are so crucial. It's, yeah. it's great to see that, that taking root here. Uh, we definitely support that. We are out of time this week on Behind the Headlines. Uh, I want to thank our panelists. Uh, that was Chrissy Sampson from the East Hampton Star. Thank you, Chrissy. Uh, thank you. Thank you also to Beth Young of the East End Beacon. Thanks, Beth. Sure thing. And to Denise Civiletti from Riverhead Local. Thank you, as always, Denise. Thank you, as always, Joe. So Bill Sutton, uh, my co-host, uh, we will be back here next week uh, for another edition of Behind the Headlines on WLIWFM. Thank you all for listening. <laughs>